we now come to one of the great stories about Jesus and who he is and what he's capable of doing. So uh, the title for this message this week is The Storms of Life. And so we probably should pray before we speak on that, right? Let's pray. Father, when we come into this topic, I know uh, all of us would know what a storm looks like. And all of us have been through them. And Lord, uh, to handle that well, to handle that right, takes a certain level of spiritual moxie. And we're going to talk about that this morning and ask for your help in that. So connect in the group. Lord, you know the stories, you know the circumstances, you know the present storms that are going on right now, you know the ones from the past, and maybe even more importantly, you know the ones that are coming. And so we seek you this morning as we walk through this story that we could learn from what was recorded, and we give that to you great hope. And ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, so when we last encountered him, let's go back a little bit. Remember when we found Jesus, where do we find him? He was in a boat. He was just offshore a little bit and he was preaching. And the reason he was in the boat is the crowds on the shore were so pressing that he was afraid he'd get crushed. So he actually said, hey, get a boat for me, would you? And he sat offshore and it says that he taught them. And it says that he taught them in parables and that he didn't do anything without teaching them in parables. And it says here that with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. There's a key phrase. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so the disciples had an extra in, so to speak. They had kind of the keys given to them and some things unlocked that other people didn't necessarily uh, get a chance on. And so we pick up the story this morning then. He's done teaching. The day is ending and we come to the story we're going to encounter right now. It starts in verse 35 and it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? So the days ended, twilight's coming. Jesus tells them to head to the other side. They do what he says. It says that he went just as he was. So they didn't go ashore. They didn't get stuff. They just kind of, when he got done, they just turned and started off across the lake. And this passage, when you read it, raises some questions, at least for me. First of all, uh, what'd they have for food? Right, I'm a guy. What's, what's the food on the trip as they go across the lake? Second thing is, what about bathroom breaks? Hey, you ever you and water ever been there? I, you know, it never talks about that kind of stuff. But you know, Jesus was human; they had to do that sort of thing. So you kind of wonder, man, if he taught all day, how, where, how did that all work? I, it never says. Be interesting to find out. Who were in the other boats? It says there were other boats. Who were those? Were those other disciples, or were was that like a football game at the University of Washington? They're all parked out in the bay. You know, and they're kind of checking it out. How did that all work? It doesn't tell us that either. Did they notice the storm approaching? Or did it catch it by surprise? Another, uh, you know, did they counsel Jesus not to cross the lake? You know, hey, that looks like that's brewing. Uh, These guys knew that lake well. 
They were fishermen. Uh, they had fished it all their lives. In the Expositor's Bible Commentary, it quotes a guy named G.A. Smith who wrote a book entitled The Historical Geography of the Holy Land. So he described kind of the different places there. And he writes, The atmosphere for the most part hangs still and heavy, but the cold currents of air coming from the west are sucked down into vortices of air. We would call them, we know those today as wind shears, right? So the area is really susceptible to that kind of downdraft sort of thing. Or he says it comes through the narrow gorges that break upon the lake. And then because of either of those two arise these sudden storms of which the region is notorious. So these storms weren't unknown to them. It was something they ran into all the time. And our text says that as they went across the lake, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Uh, How fast this can happen is actually amazing. Uh, I remember one story. I grew up in Wisconsin and we had a cabin up in northern Wisconsin, right on the Wisconsin upper Michigan border, right on the Menominee River, if any of you know where that's at. And and we were, uh, my, my buddy, my cousin, uh, Bruce Bumgart and I uh, went out fishing and instead of fishing our lake, we fished the lake next to our lake. And so to get from there, you had to go across our lake and then cross a little isthmus of land and then fish the other lake. And the reason we fished the other lake is they had walleye. And so we were excited about going walleye fishing. So we rowed over, carried the boat across, got in and we were fishing the lake. It was a really pretty sunny day. And then some clouds came in. And as we were fishing, and we were actually doing pretty good, we were catching some pretty good fish, and uh, this black cloud just came poking its way over the trees, and you just looked at it, and it looked ominous, like, oh my gosh. And we should have said we should get off the lake. Um, But we were teenagers, and we were catching fish. So we didn't move, and we kept fishing and looking and fishing and looking. And as that cloud came over, Bruce said, you know, maybe we should go to shore. I said, that's not a bad idea. And so we pulled everything. Bruce is rowing. And this thunderclap hit. And I mean, it just went kaboom. And the next thing you know, it's raining buckets. I mean, like a torrential downpour. And it rained so hard that as Bruce is rowing, the boat's sinking. We look like Johnny Depp coming into the shore, right? Just down we went. And we got about 10 feet from shore, and I watched the bow go right under the water and down we went and everything started floating around. And we swam to shore and got on, and I mean, it just was a deluge. And then we had to go swim back out and go gather everything on the lake that had floated around in the storm. And we had to try and get the boat out, right? And that, it's just enormously heavy. And, um, and so, but we were stunned how fast that happened. I mean, we were not more than... 175 yards off the shore and you wouldn't think it would take, you know, you'd be able to row in. We never made it. Another uh, uh, story that you could probably relate to is if any of you are out on the water on the Puget Sound, uh, the Puget Sound is gorgeous, right? Especially Muckleteo Beach. That's just a great place for picnics and that kind of stuff. You guys go down there. uh, But that stretch right there is notorious for two things, wind and current. Okay, and usually what happens is the wind's going one way and the current's going another way. And if the wind really comes it, right off between Hat Island there and Kingston, man, it starts to whistle and uh, it, it can kick up really quick and suddenly you can be in three, four foot waves 
uh, where before it was common. We were out, this is with my buddy Dan Gary's, Dan's from North Shore, and I'll have to call him this week and tell him to listen to the message because he's mentioned. But uh, we were out in, in his boat, I think there were four of us, and it was a gorgeous day. We were out doing this, and then all of a sudden the wind picked up, and the next thing we knew, we were bucking four-foot waves. And we were heading north, and if you know the, the waves of Makatea, it comes and pushes you against the beach, right? And so we were heading, and <coughs> we got to where the boats pull in, but there were other boats pulling in there. So Dan just stopped just for a moment, and when he stopped, the motor clunk, and when the motor clunked, the next thing you knew, as fast as you could spit, the wind and the waves pushed us right against the shore. And now the waves are coming over, bam, and smashing the boat. And uh, this was before they had all the pretty sidewalks and all the benches down there and stuff. So Dan just pulled his truck with the trailer and we, you know, um, wrenched the boat back onto the boat trailer. But by the time we had done that, the the waves had pounded and punched holes into the hull. It had smashed the window. It had broke the motor off the motor mount in the back of the boat. I mean, it had just smashed this boat. And we went... Wow. Well, the storm we're talking about here in in this passage is probably worse than the two I just described to you, right? Water is incredibly powerful. And so they are in this storm. It kicks up and literally all hell breaks loose. But one of the things this passage doesn't say is that when that happened, (coughs) excuse me, When that happened, what it doesn't say is this. It doesn't say they were praying. Isn't that interesting? Twelve disciples, all followers of Jesus, when this storm hits, it doesn't say anything about them praying. And I want to ask, how ironic is that? Stop and think about that for a second. And the question is, do we ever do that? We get in the midst of a storm, and instead of praying, we just go back to what we know how to do. And that's very true of us in life as often under pressure, we'll go back to our strengths instead of God's strengths. And then we end up in a bigger mess. But let me highlight four things that stood out in this passage to me as, as I look through them. Number one is this. Uh, the storm, I don't think, was expected. Both the boat that Jesus was in and the other boats, they took off for the eastern shore of Lake of Galilee. And surely if some of the boats were smaller and they saw that kind of storm coming, they would have A, either not left, or B, turned around as they saw it approaching. It says the storm arose, which gives the sense of it came upon them suddenly. It had been not anticipated. And uh, at our men's Bible study this week, uh, Ben, buddy sitting right over there, he was talking about how they discovered under the Lake of Galilee this volcanic fissure that exists under the lake. And uh, if that ruptures... It releases gas and it can create the same kind of scenario that's being described here on the Sea of Galilee. So we don't know if it was that either. But observation number two is, duh, Jesus is asleep. Okay? All the texts record that. Jesus is sound asleep. Now Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And after several all-day teaching sessions, he was exhausted. I know this doesn't look like much. When you're up here, right? It, it looks fairly easy. And gosh, what does Steve do during the week? Um, but if you want to just trade roles once, we'll let you come up here and try this. And you'll realize this is incredibly exhausting. And um, 
after you get done, there's a lot of warfare during the week attached to it, and you, you have to buffet all these things that come with this territory. And Jesus was tired, right? And so he fell asleep. He was in the back of the boat. I think he was pretty confident. They'd do a good job of getting him across the lake. He wasn't really needed at that point, so he took a snooze. Did he know about the storm? Uh, it doesn't really say one way or the other. It doesn't appear that he did. Uh, but if he did, he didn't let them know about it. Many Bible commentators suggest that Satan actually stirred up the storm to kill Jesus before he could ever accomplish what he came for. You know, kind of the idea, drown him, bury him at the bottom of the sea. Booyah, done. We'll fix you, son of God. Right? And, uh, and there's some merit to that, I think. But number three is what we've already been emphasizing. The storm was fierce. These men were skilled. They were tough, seasoned fishermen of the Galilean Sea. They knew water and they knew boats. They had spent most of their life in them. There was something about this storm that dismantled them. And they were panicked. And from that comes the fourth observation is this. They were more than a little perturbed that Jesus was sleeping while they were drowning. That didn't seem to match up to them. Kind of like, have you ever been on a work project and you're working hard and somebody else sitting off to the side, right? And they tip their cap and close their eyes and go, hey, hello, come, you know, right? You get really irritated with that person. It says they woke him up. The idea there is probably best understood as shaking him awake, right? And so, and you can tell how bad it is by how freaked out they are. Teacher, don't, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, this is one of those passages where tone is everything. Okay? They weren't saying it in a calm voice. Teacher, Jesus, there are some waves. We're kind of thinking this is scary. Would you like to wake up and help us? That, that, they weren't saying it that way. They weren't saying it in Old King James English. Teacher, thy servants perish. Dost thou not care? Right? They weren't saying it like a drama play. They weren't saying it robotically. We are drowning. Could you help us, please? Okay, they weren't doing any of that. No, the text makes it pretty clear. They're freaked out and they let them know it. The biblical scholar Moffat translates it this way. Teacher, are we to drown for all you care? Notice the inflection there. Don't, don't you give a rip? Don't you care? How could you let this happen? I mean, he was asleep for Pete's sakes. And why in God's name aren't you helping us? Now, those are two funny statements. First of all, Pete was in the boat. You didn't quite get that one, did you? Okay, second one. It was God who they were talking to, right? For God's sakes, why don't you do something? It was God they were talking to. Uh, You know, all humor aside, it's just another illustration of how under pressure... Even in the presence of God, we crack and we become very, very inappropriate. We become manipulative. We uh, threaten. We do whatever we think we need to do to get God to move the way we think he should move. And they were doing exactly just that. This was actually a stinging rebuke of Jesus. Kind of how you could put it in the context of this. You took care. You take care of other people. Why can't you take care of us? We're your disciples. Remember us? Hello. 
Right? The guy, remember, right? You got Peter and Andrew, James and John. Remember those four? They gave up everything. It says they walked and they followed him. Hey, hey, remember us? Disciples? Yeah. Teacher, are we to drown for all you care? The Expositor's Bible theory points out that this is such a stinging rebuke that both Matthew and Luke and their Gospels take it completely out. They don't even have it. So this lends to the theory that Mark is the earliest Gospel and it actually comes from the eyewitness account of Peter who was in the boat and told the story to Mark. This would also highlight that the disciples themselves were still in the process of coming to know who Jesus is. You know, when you think about that this morning, that's true for us as well, right? None of us have arrived. None of us completely have this faith thing figured out. None of us really have surrender completely figured out. We've been walking with Jesus and it's a process. And we're a certain way in that process, but none of us have, have arrived and they hadn't either. And then it says this, And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. This really right here is a declaration of who Jesus really was and is. If you look in 1 John, it gives us some hints in this. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made or was made. What it's saying here is this guy who was in the boat is the one who created the very things that he spoke to. It wasn't just any human in the boat. It was God in the boat. If we look at Colossians, it, it says it uh, in an equally compelling way. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. We get that picture in Hebrews chapter 3, or I mean Hebrews chapter 1. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Why I thought that was fascinating is because in this story, the boat, nothing's holding together. Until what? He speaks to the storm. And then it goes quiet. This is a demonstration of the Lord of all creation being in charge of that creation. Whether it's a windstorm, whether it's a gas eruption, or whether it's a demonic attack from hell, an attempt to take him out. The whole story is recorded to underline that Jesus was no mere mortal. He wasn't just a gifted teacher. He wasn't just a healer. He was and claimed to be God Almighty in the flesh. And you have to understand this. He who created the creation had in, has authority and control over what he created. And that's why then the disciples are suddenly what? In a greater fear than they were of the storm because they're looking and going, who is this dude? What, what, what do we have right here? And... That's why with Jesus then, you know, there's always a punchline, right? And there is. He comes back. They had rebuked him, so now 
he's going to rebuke them. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Now at first glance when Jesus asked this question, Why are you so afraid? It's kind of a strange question. Right? Why, why, why are we, what? Why are we so afraid? I mean, can you imagine? Put yourself in their spot. You're one of the disciples now. You're soaking wet. The sails are still dripping water off the top of you. Water sloshing around in your boat above your angles. The thing has just about been torn to shreds and Jesus looks at you and says, why are you so afraid? Oh, I don't know. You know? Kind of, you've got to be kidding me, right? But the next half of his question is what really stings. Have you still no faith? Remember what we said about that these were the guys that were the disciples that got handpicked because of the faith that they had. They had rebuked Jesus. Now Jesus was rebuking them. In essence, what Jesus is saying to them is this. Why didn't you trust me? Well, you were asleep, right? They go, why didn't you trust me? And now they're filled with this great fear of what this, greater than what even the storm produced. Who is this standing in the boat with us? That the wind and the sea obey him. Jesus looks at them and says, do you still have no faith? The issue isn't the circumstances. The issue is who is with them in the circumstances. And I thought that really begged the question for us this morning, for those of us who've trusted Christ, how do we handle the storms of life when they come our way? You know, storms come in the Christian life. Have you noticed that? Storms brought on by circumstances, storms brought on by other people, storms brought on by God. Does God actually lead us into storms? Yes, He does. I remember a play where a young teenager is talking to an older adult in their 60s and the young teenager looked at the older person, why don't you change some of these things? And the older person looked and said, Young lady, what you realize is in life, some things you pick and other things pick you. And I have never forgotten that. It's a brilliant line. Indeed. So when we think about it, why are we so afraid? Well, one of the reasons I think we're afraid is because like the disciples, we forget to pray in the midst of our circumstances. Like them, we don't focus on God, we focus on the storm. And it's just easy to get sidetracked. Do you find it easy? I find it pretty easy to get sidetracked, right? So many things going on, so many things that I I forget. Oh, I should stop and pray about that. And I think the disciples did the same thing. What's ironic is Jesus was right there in the boat with them. But you don't hear that they were praying to Yahweh, God, could you help deliver us from this storm? Right? They, They freaked out. 
And I think we tend to do the same thing. Focus on the circumstances instead of God. Um, We live in a culture um, where instead of praying, we self-medicate. Right? And it isn't just alcohol and it isn't just that kind of stuff. We've now got prescription drugs. We've now got marijuana. We've now got all these kind of things. I was saying in first service, there's five pot shops just between here and Thrasher's Corner. Right? And it's crazy. They're packed out. One morning we were going with the family. Pam and I were driving the kids. And it was like 7, 8 in the morning. And we got down past here. And this car, truck thing, just shot right in front of us to get into the pot shop. And I thought, dude, I mean, I literally had to hit the brakes so we didn't hit them. And I thought, wow. At 8 in the morning, we're self-medicating? See, we've learned as a culture now, as a culture, we don't pray anymore. We self-medicate, right? And we use almost anything to self-medicate ourselves. Now, I'm not against prescription things. I'm not against doctors or none of that. Don't read into that. What I'm saying as a culture, we've learned to self-medicate instead of pray. Remember Jonah? Remember he, he sailed away, he got on a ship and he didn't want to do what God wanted to do and and then this storm kicked up. What did he do? He did the second thing we usually do. Just check out. You ever emotionally just check out? You're not supposed to pray, but you just shut down. And so Jonah did. It says he went down into the inner recesses of the boat and fell asleep. He just couldn't take it anymore. It was too much. And he just zoned out, hoping to escape by sleep. And the captain comes down and says, Wake up, sleeper. Call out to your God. Maybe he'll help us. Even the pagan captain knew they should be praying. And what did he find out? They realized it was Jonah's fault. And they're like, you created this mess? What are you doing? So the point here is that the disciples should have been praying. And so should we. By the way, in Jonah's case, notice God had created the storm that Jonah found himself in and those other people. This passage, what it's not teaching, what it's not teaching uh, is that every time in your crisis, Jesus will instantly get you out of it. That is, it is not teaching this. It is not you get in trouble, a storm happens, you just go like that, like Thanos, and you're out. Okay? You didn't get that one either. Okay, so, first service got that one. All right. But the idea here is that just because we believe in Jesus doesn't mean that everything that will happen to us is good. That has to be reiterated. If you have a view of the Christian life, which I kind of call a prosperity gospel view, that says because I'm with Jesus, I'll be rich, I'll be happy, I'll be beautiful, and I'll be fabulous, right? And nothing bad's ever going to happen. Well, you're going to crash. You're going to crash because Scripture tells us we're going to go through suffering and persecution, that any person who desires to be godly is going to face persecution. And so we're going to hit it. And and right now things are tipped in our country that stuff could happen that's never happened in this country before and we may face persecution on a level we've never seen before. And we need to realize that not, although everything that happens to us isn't good, God will turn it to good. Romans 8.28 says, We know that those who love God, for God, those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. 
All things will work for good. Not everything that happens to me is good. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God knows we are not immune to suffering or persecution. It just means that we as Christians have a different way to go through it. The way of faith in Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, and because he gave himself for us, we should give ourselves to him. And so when we find ourselves in the face of suffering, we should pray. Why? Because Scripture tells us that suffering is intended to make us holy so that we'll be ready for heaven. And we forget that part. And so as a result, we tend to freeze and we don't pray and we should be praying as we go through. And here's the other point. Even if we perceive God to be distant or asleep, do you ever perceive God to be far away? from your prayers? You ever pray and it just like goes nowhere? You get half a sentence out and you quit? It feels like it hits the ceiling, just bounces back down? You know, you go, oh, well, whatever, right? Kind of thing. And, and we, we get stuck. We feel like he's asleep. <whistles> Hello, Jesus, wake up. Hey, it's me, your son, Steve. Remember, adopted, chosen. Hello. Right? I have very interesting prayer times. <laughs> Especially when I'm by myself. All right? But, We need to remember Jesus is in the storm. He was right there with them. Whether they understood he was tracking or not. And we should pray to him in faith and not rebuke him. Have you ever tried to manipulate God with your prayers? Well, you know if you were really good. Well, if you really love me, you would. Right? We we are a manipulative bunch of little critters. And we'll try to leverage that thing for all we're worth. And... We have to remember that we shouldn't rebuke or try to manipulate him when we're in a storm. That's the time we should be the most grounded. What the passage is teaching is how extraordinary Jesus was, is. This is no mere human. That's expressly what the story is intended to implicate and imply. See that? A human doesn't do that. This was the Son of God. His control over the storm authenticated his claims that he had been making while he taught. And we are to trust him. We are to put our faith in him, even in the midst of storms that we find ourselves in. Right now, this morning, you may be in a storm free place. It's a good season. You may have come out of rough waters, but right now it's good and there's not much. And say, well, Steve, I don't really need to pray right now because I, I, I'm in a good place and there are no storms. No, that's exactly when we should be praying. You need to get the discipline and the habit of prayer down now before the storm hits because it's hard to pray under emergency, even though everybody does, right? Foxhole prayers kind of thing. But we aren't necessarily good at it if we just jump in the foxhole and try to pray. We need to learn to pray now before we hit it. Maybe you're in a storm right now. Right now, you're facing it and you need to be reminded to pray and not check out. You came this morning, you're tired, you're going, wow, I've... And you need to hear, hey, keep praying. 
Keep leaning in. Don't lean out. Lean in. Lean towards Him. Seek Him. Seek His heart. Ask Him what He wants you to do. Ask Him what you're supposed to learn. Ask Him to give you a grace appropriate for the storm He's asked you to go through. And maybe you're in a storm right now and you need to be reminded to be patient. The problem with this story is, as Americans, we like this story. It's a great story. Why? They hit a storm. It's scary. They're freaked out. They're going to die. Jesus says the word. Boom, storm's gone. I like that. Yeah. Why? Because I don't need to have any patience. Right? Jesus, I'll get in. He answers it. Awesome. Has that how most of your storms have worked in your life? (laughs) You should see your eyes right now. Ah, Right? No. One of the things I've learned about storms is you've got to have the biblical character quality of patience. Because almost always, God's timing for storms and my timing for storms are not the same. You know, Paul talks about these light and momentary afflictions. I've found that storms don't seem to be light or momentary in my world. They seem to be sticky and stubborn and lasting and lasting and way more lasting than I want to last and way stickier than I want to pray. And like, can we get this over with now? I I have the equation of seconds and God might have the timing of years. Those don't go together very well. And somewhere in there, I'm going to have to learn patience. And so will you. We need God's timing, not our timing. And we need to be reminded to cast all our anxiety in Him. Why? Because He cares for us. So when I'm talking about these storms, one of the things I'm assuming is that we understand this. You have been through storms. We're not rookies at this. We've been, a lot of you have been around for a while. You know, that watching that video, a lot of that was walking down memory lanes with some of you because those were way old pictures. Yes, I'm talking to you, Rich Garrett. Okay. <laughs> but we've been through storms. Will we go through more? Yes, we will. And part of this is to understand that God will see us through the storm. Now, in this one, he answered quickly. But there's other stories where it took a lot longer. I remind you of the guy who laid by the pools of Siloam, right? That laid there, Bethany, and laid there for 30 years. That's a long time. Some of our struggles are short-term. Some of them are long-term. And we need patience to adjust to both of those. So let's pray this morning. Father, I don't think there's anyone in this room who doesn't understand what I'm talking about. We have all been through storms. Some of our storms... Some of us are in them right now, this second, as we sit in the chair. And Lord, sometimes we pray and sometimes we don't. And like the disciples, we tend to get focused on the storm instead of on you. Lord, the whole goal of Scripture is that we would keep our eyes on you and that the things of life that you allow to come our way would help to make us holy, would make us like you. And we have failed in that. Lord, as we sit here, everybody's going through their autobiography thinking of storms they've weathered and how they blew it. 
And the truth is, we sometimes don't react very well. And Lord, we need to just take that this morning, admit it, wrap it up, give it to you, and hand it off. And what we need to say is, Lord, we need to learn some maturity to face the storms that are coming our way. And Lord, we don't want to rebuke you or manipulate you, which we're very prone to doing. We want to respond well. And to do that, we need your help to develop our character and to see it for what it really is. And when we see it, to keep our eyes on you in the midst of it. Would you help us with our storms? Would you help us to know how to respond to you? And we ask for that grace in your name. Amen.